Mary. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 38, and we are reading Ragnar Blackmane by Aaron Dimsky bowden as part of the Space Marine Legends series. Yes, it's old. Yes, we're just getting it to getting to it. Don't give us any slack. Well, this, I mean, it's not that old. 2018, isn't it? Oh crap! It is that old. It's 2015. Never mind. Tw- <laughs> I thought it was 2017. It's wrong. very current. It's anyway. It, it is within this decade. All right. Fair. Yes. We posted several questions to ourselves and our readers on our website wh four k wh four zero k bookclub.com and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or encrypted box channel. Spoiler warning: If you somehow haven't yet read Ragnar Blackpaint. Go to read the book, check out the site, and come back to this podcast as we'll be talking about the book from start to finish in great detail. I mean, we'll, sit, we'll sit here and wait for two hours because that's about how long it'll take you to read it. Pretty much. it's it, Okay, so the, I really liked this book. I loved this book. Um, but one of its selling points was that it was really short and sweet. It did not overstay its welcome at all. Oh, I mean, it had a story to tell. It told it and it got out. Like, Pretty all, much. All books should be like this and not only that, like, you know, okay, so it's over 200 pages, but we got, like, big print that's widely spaced as well, so. It's also small. Well, it's about the size of a paperback, I guess, but usually the hardcovers are taller. Because um, the paper's yeah. thicker, I think. Yes, that there is that, too. But, yeah, I did have that moment when I got to the end and was like, oh, breezy and lovely. Um, I think it actually is, like, just 202 pages, too. Yeah, it's 202. So, uh, but it was, I I loved that he clearly had, like, he wanted to characterize Ragnar. He wanted to progress them forward towards the fall of Cadia. And um, then we're out. Yeah. He also, so let's, let's talk about what are the parts that stood out to you? Because if you're anything like me, there were like so many that stood out. There were, and did I write any of them down? No, I I didn't. I didn't either. Um, I was just like, oh, I loved that. And then I moved on with my life. Uh, there was, oh, gosh, I wish I had, there was some, I was like, I need to write that down. Because there are so many things that Ragnar Blackmane brought up, especially in the conference with deciding what to do with this wayward flesh terror yes. ship. Mm-hmm. Because they were all... I like how he just threw it back in the Space Wolves' faces about that that they're acting no better. And, right. um, you know, we're all supposed to be brethren in a way, like cousins, you know, we're all supposed to be family. And then here we are, we're just, we're just stealing something from them. And I like how Ray's was like, it's not stealing. <laughs> like, okay. Well, right. Cause it's, it's abandoned. I mean, this is like the same argument that my brother-in-law would give me about, um, downloading movies from torrents. Like, movies that were in theaters he's like well it's not really stealing like yeah it is but he was like he had this all these reasons why it was not technically stealing mm-hmm. i was like dude i don't care we're still stealing and it's the same way here and ragnar blackman would not let that go it was just a such a great moment that he was so ready because especially with a group of people who don't like being told no and don't like being told that they're wrong he had no problem just like you guys are hypocrites sounds like and that was like yes the space wolves have a history with being hypocritical and it's so refreshing (laughs) to see this young upstart come in and be like why why you got to do what you do (laughs) those lines i really liked it was on page 134 that was the only thing that i like dog-eared slightly it's when he's talking with the chaplain scarif of the flesh terrors and the chaplain of the flesh chair says, how do you celebrate yourselves as hero, even when so much imperial blood is on your hands? Not quite so, friend. But how do you always, always believe you were the only white in a galaxy shaded gray? And I, I liked that because the more you read about the Space Wolves, the more you see that they they remind me a lot of the salamanders in that they want to help people and their first thing is protecting the imperium and they don't have any patience for any of the bullshit now 
We'll talk more about the flesh, a lot more about the flesh terrors later because I have very strong opinions. But I liked this concept that it is kind of true that the space wolves, they know that they're loyal. They know that they care about the Imperials and really um, that makes them the, the goodest of boys. Like, I, I like this idea that the Space Wolves are basically like, well, obviously, we're unquestionably good. Right. Everybody else, maybe not. Maybe a little questionable, but not us. Yeah, we've done literally nothing wrong. In all these tens of thousands of years of existence, we have not done anything wrong or wayward. See, because I'm a big Space Wolves fan, I'm like, yes. I mean, there was the one time that they killed the gray, one of the Grey Knights because, you know, they weren't really happy with what the Inquisition was doing. But you know what? Maybe the Inquisition shouldn't have sucked so bad. Okay, well, in that example, I'm on the Space Wolf side. 100%. But, you know, I, I go back and forth with the Space Wolves. And the thing is about them is that they're just an arrogant bunch they are very well again i think it's because they have that unquestioning obviously we're good right it's just uh you know and part of it you know kind of goes back to honestly um prospero for me um and again i can't blame lehman russ for this because why wouldn't he take horace's word at face value but same time as I'm also kind of like, why didn't you just call Dad to verify? <laughs> just you sure you want or me to kill him? And I couldn't even tell if he was if I don't even remember if he told him to to kill him or if he just wanted him just to kind of bring him in. But it just was also so Dad told him to bring, bring him, him in. in. Horace was like, no, what he meant was kill him, kill him. <laughs> it's just <laughs> they're so easy to confuse, right? Bring him home. Oh, kill him. okay. Yeah. I, all right, so my big thing is I can't remember this guy's name. This one space wolf. Oh, there. That guy. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. He was a fucking hypocrite. And, oh, yeah. And so that has always kind of stuck with me about the space wolves. He's like, no, the way we handle the warp is right. Not the way you handle the warp. Now, did they have something there? A little, yes. But it was so hypocrite. I mean, just because, but same time as like ignorance there. It was just so hypocritical. And especially when you get into he's where he, he's talking, you know, to Ariman, and Ariman's talking about his familiars and all and all of that. And he's like, that's just wrong. And then Ariman looks into them and sees wolf spirits. And it's like, really? So they're wrong. But you guys are cool. And that's kind of always been the thing with the space wolves. That they've just... Arman was using... Like, his spirits were demons. But he didn't know. Anyways, that's a whole other conversation. My whole thing is is that they were just very... They were very big on, like, you know, we have the grasp on this. And therefore, we are going to tell you what you can and cannot do. I mean, at least I totally understood Mortarian's side of the whole thing. But just because he hates... He hates the warp, and yet he... Anyway. Another thing with thank, that. Thank Typhus for that. Right. Um, so, but focusing on this one, um, they there was just... There's so many little... Like, I really love ADB's turns of phrase. Right. There are a lot of just ways that things were worded in here that I really liked. It was just, from start to finish, a super enjoyable book. Yeah, 100%. Really, so let's talk a little bit about Ragnar, because Ragnar, the person you all came here for, uh, what did you think of Ragnar overall as a character? You know, I, I was I kind of went back and forth on him because he was kind of a hothead, especially when you find out that um, the Dark Angel he killed, he did it out of blood rage. He got mad that the Dark Angel won the duel and. Just couldn't have that. And he was 100% in the wrong there. And he, he was. And he couldn't really admit it. Although he did apologize, which was huge for the Space Wolves. Uh, probably my favorite scene in there is when Nalfir, even though I didn't like Nalfir at all, of course, until the very end when you find out the truth. And you're like, oh, God damn it, ADB. Why do you do this? Why do you make this despicable character? And then you find out that 
they were that's not even who they really are the banal fear just went up to him and just bitch slapped him <laughs> across the face like you done fucked you, up bro well he he deserved that oh yeah he, he totally did. did it was just it was just one of those things where this is like <sighs> yeah oh dang <laughs> well and he was absolutely right. I, right. I, I, okay, so once you realize what's going on and that he killed him in a blood rage, I was, like, reading the book, I was like, oh, he did not. Because right. my first thought when I read the book is I was like, do they, like, kill? Like, is this going to be the book where Ragnar Blackmane dies and they're going to have to retcon it? Like, my first thought was, that can't stand. You can't. And so... Fortunately, they paid that off really well. And I did like... Yes, they did. I liked that you got to see that growth in him, right? Because right. you have the hothead in the beginning who straight up murders a dark angel because he was pissed he lost. And then in the end, you have the guy who can take a step back and say, I'm not killing you. Mm-hmm. We, we need to grow up from this. Right. Not, not that we don't, not that we need to stop dueling each other because that's a very important part of the Dark Angels and Space Wolves history, but just that he had that. Not doing it. All right, I do have to say, just you talking about that, maybe remember something. You know, when they are all talking to Ragnar about their traditions with the Space Wolves, so with this honor tradition with the Dark Angels and their honor tradition with this, and you know their traditions with speaking at the forum, like I was already have you fiddler in the roof in my head oh yes yes very much so <laughs> why i'll tell you i don't know <laughs> exactly they yep. have so many traditions and that's so it's one of the things that i just love about the space wolves in general i love their whole shtick and their feel and like i love one of the phrases that i loved most about this book was so and so as called by his kith and kin Every time they did that, Razor Tongue is called by his kith and kin. I was like, yay. <laughs> like, I just love their traditions. And I love that Ragnar kind of throw. Well, they all are kind of firebrands in their own way, right? Yeah, I think that's part of being a space wolf. Which makes it so funny that they have all these traditions. Because they're like a band of firebrands. And yet they have traditions. So it feels like... like some of them are breaking like I think they all break a tradition at some point <laughs> it's just a matter of who's breaking what so I liked the idea and to your point I like the idea that I've done this horrible dishonorable thing and then when they find the ship we need to return this ship but, right so again that kind of so I got I'm gonna ask you a question so when they did this conference this little conference and Ragnar was like so why can't we? And they're like, you, you you weren't there. Well, why don't you just educate me? And I was totally expecting, because I don't like the Flesh Terrors, and I was I was on the Space Wolf side on this, like, yeah, fuck those guys, whatever. I was expecting this horrible thing for the Flesh Terrors, and yes, the Flesh Terrors did do, did do horrible things, but... To be clear. Right, but when the Space Wolves were like, but we wouldn't give them back their bodies. Like, seriously? Seriously, are you really going to play that game? You guys? With your wolfen? Yes. You're going to play that game? But again, that goes back to the whole we are white. We are the <laughs> we, we do are nothing the good. Wrong. Right, exactly. Like, yeah, we've got this wolfen curse, but we've got that under control. But these other guys, they're shady. They <laughs> they have a curse and yeah, they don't if- if, Although, if they had nothing to hide, they wouldn't have gotten so bad. We wouldn't get their bodies back. I liked how Ragnar was like, what? <laughs> like, what sense does that even make? Right. But to that, I mean, on one hand, so, okay, I was, I, I was conflicted. The boulder was conflicted because on one hand, I was like, uh, hello, hypocrites. But then on the other hand, I was like, I mean, to be fair, they, they basically are cornate berserkers. Well, who happened to fight for the emperor. They just exactly. called corn the emperor. They were I, killing, I, slaughtering innocent civilians. I, so on one hand, I'm like, I know this. And this is one, one of the many reasons why I don't like the flesh terrors. The other reason is because they're a watered down chapter. But the um, point is, you know how I feel about the non-legions. Sorry, that's just, I know 
Gabriel Seth would like a word, madam. Yeah, I really don't care. Um, they were horrible. 100% they were in the wrong, and I totally understood why the Space Wolves fought them. But when you get Seth and Logan Grimnar there to be like, can you stop this shit, please? Let's go in okay. peace. You want to talk about unstoppable force meets immovable object. <laughs> I'm just trying to imagine those two in a room. Talk about two large egos and unpredictable natures. Honestly, also, I imagine temper. Them, well, that, but I imagine them both coming into this and like, what is this? You know, like they're watching a bunch of unruly kids. Pro actually, yes, I could also see that. Them showing up being like, you called us in for this. I could absolutely see that too. Honestly, it could go either way. But yeah, when they said that they, when Ragnar was like, you didn't give them back their bodies. I also had a similar moment when he's talking with the chaplain and the chaplain's like, oh, we've sent emissaries. And yeah, we got their heads back and Ragnar's like, right. But at the same time, like at first I was very angry about that. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, but we don't know. What? We, we only know that side, that they got the heads back. We have no idea what happened. It, right. In the emissaries, to be fair, it's a flesh terror emissary. So it's entirely possible that they showed up talking smack. Or maybe they decided they were hungry. And look at this tribe. Again, it could go either way. What do you think of modern Ragnar sitting on Cadia? Like with the whole tunnel scene and them fighting their way just throwing themselves against body of the cultists and how did you think of him as a modern leader since the other stuff was kind of in the past right um i didn't really think very much you know on it because i was kind of enjoying that part that part just because it reminded me so much of uh justin hill's book um katia stands because it was the space wolves that actually saved that one soldier there it was by accident, but he's just like, I mean, he put her on a ship. It was like, later, <laughs> whatever, I'm going on my way now. But, you know, a lot of stuff that he was doing, a lot of some of the orders that he was giving, is like, yes, that happened in Cadia Stan. So that's kind of cool to, to uh -huh. kind of see all that. But, you know, he's, uh, I mean, he's a, he's a space wolf. He's always going to be hot tempered. But as we saw him throughout the book, he started off this hot head. And it took going through a poisoned jungle to kind of calm him down. Error. Nothing. I. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a second, but I really liked that because I was like, well, that's certainly an attitude adjustment. Right. Nothing like, uh, we come from a death world. Yes, darling, but you come from the Antarctic. You are now in, I guess, the Amazon. That's what I was Cambo thinking. Cambodia. Like you're, you are I, in. You know what? You are in. Forest. You are in a combination of the Amazon and the outback. Pretty much everything there wants to kill you and yes. hates you. And I liked <laughs> when they said that when they were like, even the trees are trying to kill us. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. I thought that was so funny. So let me ask you this, because I think this is probably one of the most telling things about Ragnar. At least I thought so when you get to the end. Why do you think he missed Razor Tongue most of all? The only thing I can think of is maybe just missed having that voice of... Uh, just playing devil's advocate just to play devil's advocate in his ear to make him read well, things. He had that with, was it Alfred or Alfred? I, I can't, he had the bard at the end and I can't figure out how to say that name. Oh, um, uh, yes. But he had that bard. And I think this speaks a lot to Ragnar. So similar to what you said in the beginning, where Nalfir is just this kind of obnoxious character. He clearly set that flesh terror loose on Ragnar, which right. classic space wolf that we need to teach him a lesson. Unleash one of the flesh terrors on him. <laughs> I, the fact that that was a suitable punishment, but he acts like such a jerk. And then when he's like, yeah, 
Yeah, the Jarl pretty much told me to do it from the day one because he knew that, you know, he recognized potential in you. The idea that Razortongue would commit to that, that he was willing to step into that role of teacher, but a specific type of teacher. And to let himself be so hated. Yes. I mean, the willing fact, to be the villain. I mean, I, that one elder that came to talk to Ragnar and he was just like, well, you have everyone mad at you because because half are mad that you didn't finish the job and half are mad that you tried to kill a fellow brother. <laughs> like, wow. Right. Right. Although it's and, like, well, to be fair, Nalfar, Nalfar really did start that. I did. I did. It, it explained this so much. And this is classic ADB too. Remember when he's talking with Ulrich and he's like, he unleashed that flesh terror on me and Ulrich's like, did he? You didn't mention this. And Ragnar's like, oh, I didn't feel the need to mention it. And Ulrich's like, okay. I loved Ulrich. Ulrich was oh, probably yeah. my favorite. Such a great character. But I love the way ADB handled him. He was the but, one who shot off Nalfir's hand, didn't he? Um, no, that was uh, Rolf, wasn't it? I can't remember which one. That was that scene was hysterical. Yes. When he shoots the hand and Alpha's arguing and he's like, you got another one. I can fix that problem. <laughs> it's like, I, again, I love the Space Wolves. They're just, they're so wasteful. Uh, <laughs> they just kill perfectly good Space Marines because they were mouthing off. Um, well, well, I mean. Anyways. I, I mean, I so, do have to admit that this bit, the Space Wolves, they, they have their fun moments. Like that, that was one of them. Um, I think now probably one of my favorite traditions is that they all have to fight each other to, to determine who gets Lucas the next year. That just cracks me up. Okay. And so I think, you know what? I'm actually really glad that we read Lucas the Trickster before we read this book. Because my first, so, cause my next question is, what do you think of the bards in general? And the idea that the Space Wolves constantly need these naysayers. So they love to have Lucas the Trickster, not as a bard, but as a trickster. They like the person who's willing to tell them to stop putting on airs mm -hmm. and to take a step back. They like the bards. They like the characters that are willing to say, this is a stupid idea. I don't know what I think of the bards because like... You know, I don't have too much familiarity with them. I mean, we have Nalfir, and then, of course, there was um, Ashes of Pro not Ashes of Prospero, but uh, Prospero Burns, because mm -hmm. they turned that regular human kind of in, in a bard, yes. into a bard. I think it's very interesting. I mean, it kind of, you know, of course, it goes back to some Viking folklore and all that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and honestly, the idea of having a bard goes all the way back to the Greeks, if you want to get really specific. Very much so. Um, I really don't know what, what I think of them. I really like them as a concept. I like the idea. And because after I just made this huge thing about how they're like, we're the only white, good, unquestionable people in the galaxy. I like the idea. Their bards are, so they have the person who plays the devil's advocate, but they also kind of play their own little Jiminy crickets. This conscience that will say are we doing this i'll voice the unpopular opinion right now i will question my leader i will but then also i will remember these stories and i will entertain people and i will do traditional bard things but i like the idea for the space wolves that it's so important to have a character and again that ragnar that's the person he missed the most Nalfir, I didn't get the impression that Nalfir was like some great warrior. I mean, he obviously was a good warrior, but not like, you know, the man right. you would have as your second. No, right, right. But I think, you know, so Dante kind of had this too. Mephiston has always been the one that's barking in his ear. It's just like, mm -hmm. that's dumb. <laughs> um, Bring us a chalice and we'll talk about how dumb this is. <laughs> I was just having a Teen Titans go reference go through my head. There's this episode where Raven is mean to everybody and her dad gets onto her about it. And she's like, I'm not mean. I'm mean. I am nice by being mean. That way that they don't do things. She goes with the Beast Boy. She's like, stop that. That's dumb. <laughs> like, that's kind of what I was thinking you know, with some of this. But 
I mean, Dante, that was very important to Dante because Mephiston would argue with him all the time. At the same time, Mephiston has one of his closest friends is with him at all times who is constantly telling him, what the hell is wrong with you? Like, you need to stop doing this. I think it's just something that in a way kind of makes them, brings them back down to level. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, these, these guys, they're essentially superheroes in a way, but they don't always do superhero like things. And sometimes they need that extra reminder that, you know, the road to pay, road paved to hell, the road is paved to hell with good intentions. Right. And even though you may have this could be. wonderful intention in mind, but um, what if we look at like not doing that? How would that work? And have you really thought this through? You just really just kind of challenge and challenging them. You know, it's like in this really weird way, Uriel kind of had it with Learchus. Right. He did. Well, but those are like, those are characters. Who, I mean, you can name them, mm-hmm. right? I get the impression that there are many, many bards throughout. So I like the idea that like, obviously these people, these main characters that we follow from, from a narrative perspective, it's good to have that. But I like the idea that this is a, this is a position within, like they actually have a naysayer position within their legions. Mm-hmm. Um, which I thought that was very interesting. And I think that's a really neat thing about them. Now, they still have this tremendous amount of arrogance to them, right. but it's kind of a neat thing. And again, just the fact that Ragnar is like, I I really need my Jiminy Cricket around still, a person who's willing to commit commit to the role. Right. So See, I guess I never t- really thought of them that way, So, but mm-hmm. I'm going th- running through Prospero Burns in my head, and I can't remember the name of that human. Which is stupid because he was like the lead character in the book. The main character. Yeah, the main character. But he I was... can't believe you can't remember his name. What's his name? It's so obvious I don't <laughs> need to tell you. Okay. Okay. Um but that he... one guy? No, the one guy, yes. But Dan Abnett uh insert. <laughs> he uh actually, yes. I could see that one hundred percent. So he's just the Dan Abnett insert in this. But there was this one wolf that kind of got possessed. But then when he got some Mm -hmm. clarity, he was like screaming about Horus. That Horus is turned. Horus doing these bad things. And that human bard was like, I think we need to listen to this. Like something about this is triggering something. And he was protesting, don't kill him. We need to listen to it. And they were all so certain that they were right mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. killed him. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah. And then, yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Right. Which I know, I know that, that, that whole thing, yes, that is a whole Dan Abnett insert to be like, see, see, like we do all along and we're just trying to warn you. You know, but because, like, you know, even, not that we even needed that because Lehman Russ figured it out in the end, anyways. He's kind of doing his walk of shame as he's leaving. It's like, yeah. We can't tell any of this, so you have to go to sleep now. <laughs> We're going to put you back Pretty in the much. tree, and we'll get you later. Yeah. Or never. Smell you later. <laughs> right. Um. So, okay. I would say that the majority of the story takes place in Cadia, but then probably the closest second is them on the Flesh Terror's homeworld. Right. And we talked a little bit about the homeworld itself, but what did you think? What did you think of the flesh terrors versus the space wolf? I think it's an interesting. They put it, oh my god, it goes back to werewolves versus vampires. You know, I mean, I mean, are you going to be why? Are you going to be team why? Edward or team Jacob? <laughs> Obviously, team Jacob in this case. <laughs> Actually, god. I was always team Jacob, but that's a whole different story. Okay, really quickly, I could never be teamed. I could never. So when like all these other adult women, when Twilight was a big thing, and they were like, "I'm Team Jacob." I used to babysit for my best friend's kids, and Shark Boy. Every time I looked at Jacob, it was Shark Boy, Shark and I was Boy. like, "There was this movie that my I call them my nieces and my nephews. They loved. It was called Shark Boy and Lava Girl, and it's." Jacob's first role. I can't think of the actor's Taylor, name right now. Taylor Lautner. 
Taylor Lautner's first role, he's like 11 or 12 in it. So I'm like, this is not a man, this is a child. So when everyone's like, I'm Team Jacob, it's like, you cannot be Team Shark Boy. <laughs> he is a child and that's weird. To be fair, I read all of the books before I saw the before I saw any of the movies and I saw two of the movies and I was like, I am done. I can't believe I've wasted yeah. my time even further with this crap. Now, actually, we laughed hysterically through them. Like actually, we watched them and we made a drinking games. We laughed so hard. That'd be pretty good. Actually, last time I saw Taylor Lautner, he was in Grown Ups 2. He was a frat boy lacrosse player. It was okay. his, it was hysterical. Yeah, it was that hysterical. Fits. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. He's adorable. But Anyways, he, yes. Obviously, really obviously Team Jacob. Although, can we discuss this for a second? That um, he looks vampiric. Well, yeah. I mean, the ears are kind of pointy, too. Yeah, but, like, the way that they drew, I was like, that's less saber-tooth and, and more vampire lord. Well, I, th- I think it's the black hair. I think that doesn't help. It's the it's the teeth. For some reason, they look less... They look more vampiric to me and less wolfy. Hmm. Even though I totally know that they also have the extended canines. Right. Um... Except that the, I think the ponytail doing him no no benefits. Oh, the top correct. knot, I like yeah, the Abaddon look there. Um, the palm tree. But the, the difference is, is that so theirs are constantly fangs, and yes, that the, is true. The blood angels are, are retractable because, of course, they are. Uh-huh. So whatever. But what I think about them versus again, so it, it is vampires versus versus werewolves, but at the same time. Fuck the flesh terrors, man. <laughs> they're so so in a in a chapter, and I know that they're their own chapter, but right. look, just under the whole Blood Angels chapter, in a chapter of melodramatic people, they take the cake. And frankly, I really liked the captain up until the point when he just massacred all of the recruits because he's like, these guys suck. And he goes through and he kills them all. And he's like, ah, not a single one of them was worth it. They couldn't even block me. And I'm like, you're a space marine. And they're just regular unaltered humans. Like, also, I don't think they were. I don't know. I found that to be so off-putting. Like, I was like, I like this guy. I like the. No, never mind. That didn't Damn, you s- tricky flesh terrors. That didn't surprise me. And that's uh, after reading Angels of Darkness and seeing what the Dark Angels put their finalists through i mean it's either you're, it's either you're a dark angel or you're dead i mean there is no wrong way through it and here he decided that they weren't gonna cut it so might as well just kill them all i just always find it very off-putting but yeah when it happened out because i was like oh he seems reasonable a little melodramatic but re- oh no almost fooled me but there is this i they're so fatalistic and I did find it interesting though how he's like yeah we're just going to be losing more people on Seth's crusades because you know Seth is trying to find victimless crusades for them good luck oh Seth I you know what he's a complicated man and no one understands him you know what except Dante yeah I actually do like Seth. Seth He seems to be the only reasonable flesh terror, and he's snarky. So of course, of course, I'm he is snarky. I'm gonna like him, but I just okay. I will say the flesh terrors are above the blood drinkers because let's be real. And what was that other chapter that was literally slaughtering innocent people just for funsies? Oh god! But then they got devoured. Yeah, they got devoured. Uh, Seth was talking with them down in the tunnels, yes, right? And the yes. guy was just, yeah. Ugh, um, I can't remember their name either. It wasn't the Angels Luminous, but it no, was... It doesn't matter. Something with blood or flesh. But yeah, I I found the chaplain very interesting in this book. I mean, he I liked that he found it interesting that he so grossly overstepped his bounds. Uh, yeah. I found, it. I found that very interesting. I was like... His okay. whole explanation of why they have a captain of the tenth company, even though they don't have ten companies, because right. it's tradition. 
Yeah, I kind of, I kind of like that. And Varane was like, that's dumb. <laughs> he's like, right? then he's like, well, I'm a captain, so I outrank you. I'm going to go get them now. I did like that when he's like, I'll be back. I thought that was interesting. I thought, I thought it was very interesting when he finds them still alive and he's like, whoa. Like, wait, I was not expecting this. And, but, but how many space marines have they put on that walkabout? Right. Again, these are not necessarily the most conscientious people. Right. And, yeah. I, the, I loved the scene with the dinosaur or the dragon. I thought that was super interesting. Nalfir goes out like a damn badass. Right. And I like that I like that his lie becomes true. Tell him that I went out fighting something bigger than me. Yes. Like, yeah, I, I loved that. I love that, yeah. I did that was the part where Varane grew on me. When he sees that, when he sees Nalfir standing off against this thing and he's like, I've gotta help, and Ragnar kind of gives him the Okay. Whatever's going on here, I will respect it. That was when I was like, oh, there's hope for you guys. Just every, every couple of them. <laughs> like one in a hundred, because we can't so say we got thousand. They don't even have a thousand. So we have Vorane and Seth. And so, okay. Well, there's 400 guys. So if there's one in a hundred, there's probably two other who were. Okay. <laughs> decent sort of fellows. <laughs> so long as they're not drinking blood their coordinate berserkers just so we're clear they just i feel as though the flesh terrors like they just haven't gotten like they still think they're worshiping the emperor but it's really corn and they just haven't gotten the memo yet corn's <laughs> just like mm, call me whatever you want i don't care <laughs> it's still skulls for the skull throne yeah and lots of blood for the blood god mm-hmm. i although but, i don't know I, he may I, not like that if they drink it also but to your earlier point I thought it was an interesting dichotomy to pit these two guys against each other as having, because again, they do both have the secret, the secret curse. And yes, the flesh terrors obviously take it to the extreme because they always do. And they all, like, you know, their, their, their percentage of black rage is really high and blah, 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 blah. It was an interesting thing of, and it made me really like the Space Wolves more, and it made me want to like show this book to the Inquisition and be like, see, these guys are fine. Um, the idea that they have this dark curse, but it's not as hindering. And they haven't fallen into woe is I. Right. Like the flesh terrors. I just kind of like it that these three chapters that have all these incredible secrets and would kill anybody to keep them secret are constantly at each other's throats. And I'm talking about the flesh terrors, the dark angels, and the space, space wolves. That's a little interesting, isn't it? And I did like at the end there. Okay, first off, so I'll get my first statement out, and then I have to say out one of the things that stood out to me that was hysterical. But I did like at the end, when it's the flesh terrors, watching the dark angels and the space wolves going at it, and they're just kind of like, cool. <laughs> he's at first when he's like I have no idea what's going on right and okay like everybody else is watching so I guess I'll just watch too um I do like when he's like yeah it was really artful how you dodged getting your head cut off slipping on the ice yeah I, I laughed at that I laughed pretty hard at that one but you are correct at the end there it was three chapters who really don't want the inquisition looking in on them no which is why I find it so fascinating that the Dark Angels constantly try to get in the Space Wolves business. And I'm pretty sure they do it to throw the scent off of them, get the Inquisition to look at the Space Wolves. But at the same time, it's like, bro, like, you got your own skeletons in the closet. You don't want to go pointing out other people's because they're just going to come I find yours. I actually think the Dark Angels suffer the same problem the Space Wolves do. Hi, Casper Hauser! Oh! Okay. Casper Hauser! That just popped in there. I can't believe you didn't remember that, Carrie. Oh, okay. Okay. And it was spelled dumb, too. I think it was like 
Casper with a K, and I think it was like because the K is extreme. Extreme. Anyways, um, that's like my favorite gag. And Harold and Kamar go to White Castle. So, I just referenced that in our podcast. Um, anyways, so Casper Hauser. Uh, the Dark Angels, I think, also have a little bit of, well, we know what our secrets are. Our secrets are in check, and we know that we're loyal to the Emperor. But the rest of you bastards are questionable. So, it's funny to me that the Space Wolves and the Dark Angels are the ones that have this long-standing, we have to duel feud. And the sub the Dark Angels subplot feels particularly interesting, because I actually had to get on to... I had to get online to double check this. This book takes place in 999M41. Mm-hmm. It's the same time that the Dark Angels are dealing with the Wolfen issue. Okay. So that makes this a little interesting. The fact that, meanwhile, back at the corral, the Dark Angels are uh, going hog wild on the wolfen and killing space wolves left and right and meanwhile over here you have this you will duel us oh okay so like I, on one hand I was like it's nice to know that no matter what else is going on in the universe Abaddon siege in Cadia Cadia about to fall you guys are destroying the space wolves left and right we still must duel I yeah. like <laughs> Don't monkey with tradition. Now, I kind of hope when um, Lion and Lehman come back, that's the first thing they do. Oh, you know it will be. Actually, so I could very much see when they come back and they're and the chapters are like, yes, we still do with each other every time we see each other. I could see the Lion being like, are you me? And <laughs> Lehman Russ being like, excellent. <laughs> right? I, I could see it either way with the lion because the lion and they deal with this a little bit in the Lehman Rust Primark novel which is just fabulous and I recommend it to everybody and that says a lot coming from people who know how much I hate the horse heresy um, they they deal with in several books how the lion's kind of like this like he finds it to be kind of silly mm-hmm. and it, they deal with that a little bit in the Primark book that even he was kind of like I'll allow it um, but yeah, I could imagine him coming back and being like, why <laughs> now? You think this is a good time to do it now? And Lehman's like, yeah, that's actually exactly what happens in the unremembered empire. One of the space wolves goes up to punch him and he's like, right now, right here. <laughs> the space wolves like, yep. It reminds me of that. Uh, I'm going to get Johnny Bravo episode. <laughs> You and me, we gotta fight. I don't have anything against you, and I got nothing against you, but you and me, we gotta fight. I just imagine that lion backhanded that guy and be like, "We good? Okay." That's exactly what happens. Oh. And all the other, <laughs> and all the other space wolves are like, "Ah!" <laughs> like, they, they remind me of the orcs a little bit, and they're just there for a good crumping. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter who loses. They're ah, it was a good fight. Uh, yeah. So it. But I don't know, it felt a little... On one hand, I liked that, oh, we don't monkey with tradition. Then their hand, I was like, hmm, a little callous. Like, sure, our brothers are off killing all of you, but, uh... Pistols at dawn. <laughs> well, or chainswords at dawn, whatever they this, had. This is what we do. I did love the descriptions of them. It's it, They use the same... It, very similar to in Chris Rate's Primark book, too, which I know came after this one. But they describe the Dark Angels as being these very regal, consummate swordsmen, right? They're very polished, and they're very studied, and they look very fancy, whereas the Space Wolves are just barbarians, and they're just yeah. going straight brute force. Right, because I think they even mention in here about, like, we have no idea if they're even smiling, or if they can smile, or something like that. Right. It's like, yes, I imagine right. the Dark Angels being very bored of everybody in the room. Because if they're anything Very like much. if they're anything like their gene father, they know best. And they know better than all of you. And they're very aristocratic and knightly. They actually remind me very much of the elves, the Tolkien elves. Mm. 
Uh, very yeah, above it all, mm-hmm. you know, very snooty. Um, and this, it just dawned on me that this is like some 80s coming of age movie with like the aristocratic wealthy jocks versus the nerds or something like that, except the space souls are not definitely not nerds. You're trying but to say this is like Revenge of the Nerds? Pr- pretty much, yes, where it's the preppies and yeah. Um, but it just, it felt kind of weird to me where I was like, are we not going to talk about the Wolfen thing right now? Is that off the table? They're on Cadia. It's possible they don't even know. Like well, they get yeah. back, they get back and are like, oh, oh, come on. But the 13th. Just deal with that guy. The 13th Legion came back. Wait, what? Yeah. Row, row. <laughs> um, I did really like the idea though. I loved that ending when he was like, and so that brings up why do you think it was so important to settle these two old scores in particular I don't know but I loved it all the same you know ADB he just he has he has a gift and he really brought it out and yes I'm not about to say this in the emperor's gift that he mentioned something in the beginning that doesn't seem that important or that you might forget about it because so much other things are going on and then when it happens, you're just like, oh, 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 we're going to go that way. Oh, okay. It's just, again, it, it, it reminds me of To Kill a Mockingbird. Because To Kill a Mockingbird, if you've never read it, starts off as something that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And it, but you totally forget about it until the end of the book. And, I, like, I got choked up reading Ragnar Blackman when Sorael, Sorael stepped off the ship. I, on one hand, I was like, what are the odds? But on the other hand, I was like, oh, thank God. And to your point, okay, so this is one of the things that I know that we've been talking about this a lot. I liked it at the time, but as time goes on, the spear of the emperor just keeps, it is marinating so well in my brain. But that was another one, right? Where two things get mentioned very oh, early on in the yes, book. Yes, yes. Why would you just send one guy? And also the Inquisition's totes trying to kill us. And you're like, even though at the time you're like, yeah, probably. Um, You kind of of forget about it, right? Like, you're like, yeah, okay. Well, it's not only that, but it's like the very beginning, you know, has main character. And she's, you know, like writing in a journal and she's using a name. You're like, I don't know who the hell this is. But you forget about that. Forget all about that until the very end, you know. And Phil Kelly kind of did the same thing in War of Secrets. You thought nothing of battle stations uh, in the beginning, nothing. I still thought it was bad, lazy writing because there's the one, the one chapter where they're like battle stations, and everybody wakes up, and you're like, okay, that's like the most awkward cut between scenes I've ever read. And then you get to the end, and you're like, oh, <gasps> right. <laughs> I felt so bad because reading the book, I was like, because it, it happens like twice where you're like, this is just you know what? Thing lazy is like, writing. And then you're like, oh, it's brilliant writing. I didn't do none of that phased me. And I think I've just play way too much like sci-fi space odyssey video game shit because that didn't phase me. I didn't even notice it. And then when they said battle stations, I was like, wait, 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 wait. And I flipped back through the book. I was like, oh, oh, oh. You guys are crafty with your own people. ADB is very good about that, about where he's basically told you kind of what's going on here. And if you go back and reread, or like if you really think about the initial part, it is important tradition. We do not dishonor this tradition. Right. So the fact that it comes back in the end, but again, so the Dark Angel, do they really settle the score with the Dark Angels? Probably not. Um, But the idea that it was very important that we make it clear that we're kosher with the dark angels and we're kosher with the flesh terrors. Now, in the context of devastation of Ball, it feels more important that they would settle with the flesh terrors because I think Ragnar had it right. The universe is dying. Bad stuff is coming down the pipeline. We need all the allies and the friends that we can get. Right, I mean, and obviously just from the uh, chaplain talking with Vorain, talk about a dying out chapter. 
And yet they're... Who's also going to refuse the Primaris. Right. I think oh, well. they need all the allies they can get. Well, maybe the Asphiral. We have the Blood Angels. We don't really need anybody else. Dante thinks we're cool. <laughs> kind of. He really wishes we would take the Primaris. Well, yes, because... Because I think Dante actually sees the Flesh Terrors as, like, you know, the Blood Angels' children in many, many ways. Which, you know, technically they are. Mm-hmm. And he just wants to kind of protect everybody. And then we just slaughtered, like, everybody else. But, you know, we got the Flesh Terrors. And he likes Seth. I think that's the big thing, is that Dante likes Seth. Right. And I think, well, I mean, doesn't every parent have their favorite child? And the other ones you just leave for the nids to eat? I don't know. I have, one, yes. I have one child. I don't understand how parenthood works. Um, I, I really do need to pick one of mine for the nids. I haven't done that yet. <laughs> I imagine it would vary from day to day. It does vary from day to day. <laughs> and there's other times where you're like, I need to start over. Anyways, joking. Let me start telling you that. I'm going to feed you to the nids today. You're like, what are you talking about? You're the nid sacrifice today. <laughs> um, oh my gosh. But I liked, I liked the idea that maybe they have more than one ally out there now. But for the Dark Angels, I guess that's just... Okay, look, there's no bad blood between us other than the bad blood that's already there and the whole Bolton thing. Anyways. Yeah, we might have just, like, you know, sent all the Grey Knights after you guys. But, you know... And then, like, massacred the entirety of your population massacre the entirety of the population that you recruit from now giving you the same problem that the flesh terrors have although the space wolves have accepted the primaris into their heart and souls so because they've accepted robbie g as the emperor replacement person i guess i forget I he has so anyways, many titles like so many titles he's just robbie bobby anyways they've accepted he's got, robbie bobby he's got as many titles as the custodians have names pretty much that yes. is the legit thing. Yes. Or as many names as the Skander Kane has. Hey! hey! But he's our Robbie Bobby, and that's all that matters. He is Robbie Bobby. Um, so I guess it just dawned on me, though, that that is definitely... And we talked about that after Ashes of Prospero, too, and what a huge problem that is. So it's very interesting that he would specifically bring them to be on friendly status with the other chapter that's having similar problems. And let it be pointed out that the Space Wolves have never really had, nobody really knows what the numbers that they have, but there have been several books in which they mention that they don't have quite as many numbers as other chapters, which, if you can do some math there. Which is kind of crazy, considering that they refuse to follow the Codex and divide up into other chapters. They're like, we're going to keep 10,000 people. Screw you. I think they only have to. Also, they are accepting the Primaris. Like, I keep coming back to that, whereas the Flesh Terrors aren't, although maybe the Flesh Terrors will just have the Primaris forced upon them, and then it'll be like, War of Secrets all over again. And that's not a good thing. Anyways. So, we have the settling of scores, and then we know from Psychic Awakening that after fighting uh, Thraka, Ragnar becomes a Primaris. Where does he go from here? I guess my next question is, does, is Logan Grimnar a Primaris? I have to assume so, because they seem to be making everybody... Everybody's right. favorite characters are Primaris. Right, but I don't... How convenient. I don't see Dante becoming a Primaris. I don't either, And that's actually. just because he's old. <laughs> he's... I have to see if, he's, if Logan Grimnar has become a Primaris, because the answer is... I don't know. Well, if... Um, Logan Grimnar, for the same reasons that Dante is not a, becomes does not become a Primaris because of age, then I see, I see Ragnar Blackmane eventually becoming the Great Wolf King. That's always kind of been the supposition. I mean, ever since the William King book, it was always kind of the supposition that he would be the next Great Wolf. And unlike he, Cato Sicarius, everybody likes Ragnar, so it makes sense um, because. Oh, man, that would, like, really suck for Kato, too, because he was always the heir apparent, but now Robbie Bobby has come back, and I don't know. I hope it's Felix. Anyways. No, Felix is a tetrarch. 
Okay, that's a good point. But I like Felix, so don't take this from me. I like Felix too, but okay, I want Marnie to stay where he is. And Marnie? Yes, Marnie. We're, we're that close, okay? <laughs> and <laughs> um, but you know, Cato, I think grew on both of us after Knights of McCrag, and I'm really curious where Cato yes. goes from here. He has. I would imagine that he would also go and undergo the Rubicon Primaris because. Okay. okay yeah. Is he really going to let Uriel, of the Fourth Company, go through it? And well, not him? remember they say they say that they were working their way. I think didn't they say that that they were working their way down the line and that, I think you know, again, plot armor is in effect here. <laughs> if your name. If your name is famous and there's a character for you, you're now a Primaris. Um, so, you guys, I'm still so angry that I, that Pisanius didn't undergo the Rubicon Primaris. I'm really having trouble with this, and this is really dredging up some feelings for me. <laughs> this conversation. I'm going to be fine over here, I promise. Maybe. Anyways. Is Ulrich going to become a Primaris? He's kind of old, too, though. He's, like, super old. Like, I don't think he's Dante old, but not too far away yeah. from it. No. The only one who's no. Dante old is Robbie Bobby. <laughs> and he was pretty for well, most of that time. Yeah, pretty much. Which is kind of wild to think about. Right. But, so, actually, I guess let's broaden that. Where do the Space Wolves go from here? Because now we have read this, we no. read Lucas the Trickster, and we read Ashes of Prospero. So and the curse of the wolfen and lots of stuff going on with the space wolves. So, since Ashes of Prospero took place after Curse of the Wolfen, I think we have to go from that point. I'm a, I think that Lucas the Trickster and all that is going to be retconned. That's just kind of what I'm thinking, and I think it's because nobody cared about Lucas, or nobody does care about Lucas as much as Josh Reynolds did. Uh, maybe somebody else will rise up and take over. I don't know, but I think we're going to go from Ashes of Prospero. And that's what I'm really interested when they come back from Prospero. Because they all can't deny what they, they learned, how that's going to affect them in the future. So especially since, their... you know, they still have a Magnus problem. Uh, an ever so slight Magnus problem. Mm hmm. He has a case of the Magnus. Um, like all of Fenris has a terminal case of Magnus. That's a good point. I don't know. Uh, Magnus is still obviously quite cranky. I don't know if maybe he learned the lesson that all he really needs to do is just show up on their planet, summon like five or ten demons, and then the Grey Knights will just come and take care of the problem for him. That's kind of what happened in Curse of the Wolfen, but... Exactly. He and just that's what I'm drew saying. It, he drew his sigil in the air, and it was like this you know, bat signal for the, for the gray knights. Yeah. And I mean, does he learn that lesson? Like, look guys, all you have to do is drop like two demons on there and no more space wolves. Um, does he learn that? That's a huge problem for them. Obviously they have this giant revelation that OBT dubs. It was Horus that told you to attack Prospero. Um, they have the issue that the Inquisition is still very much on their heels. They have the issue that the, they're not totally kosher with the Dark Angels. Not totally. Um, I don't know. I, and that, I think and that's a lot kind of wrapped up just right in there. The Space Wolves, the Dark Angels, and the Inquisition. Oh my. All kind of in there, especially with, you know, Robbie Bobby coming in and challenging the Inquisition the way that he has. Yes, very much so. Because they may try to go in there and kill the Space Wolves. I mean, they've tried it once before. I, by the way, we didn't mention that. I did find it very interesting when they mention Inquisitor Jarl's daughter. Mm -hmm. How they're just like, yeah, we don't talk about her. Like, apparently she turned traitor and some shit. Or at least to... Well, I mean... Or is that what they... Is that their interpretation? Because, hey, look, you were with the Inquisition. Well, we don't know what happened. Uh, we don't exactly know how, how she fell how she fell out. But you know how the Space Wolves roll. If she was... Fin, she's, you know, Fenrisian. If she didn't vote in their favor, they're going to call her a traitor. 
Because, like, again, like, with the whole flesh terrorist thing, look at how they painted that. Right. Whether they, whether they were right or not, it's still not painted totally not hypocritical. It could be the mm-hmm. same same thing with her. Right. Very much so. It really could be. Um, but I found that, I found that interesting. Uh, so... Uh, I feel as though for all the chapters, like we talk a lot about the Ultramarines. We have a really good handle of the Ultramarines. And we just had a conversation about this on our Patreon episodes where we were talking about like, where are some of these chapters? I feel like after the Ultramarines, we probably have the best handle on the Space Wolves right now. Yeah, I would say so just because, well, I mean. And the Blood Angels. Yes. Well, yes, because the Blood Angels, I mean, so what do we have? We've had, well... I can't really count Lamarts because that was written so much earlier, but like we got Dante of Devastation of Ball. We know that there's uh, Darkness in the Blood is coming out. Uh, well, it's already out. You guys know what I mean. And um, so, yeah, so we already have all of that, all of that with, with, with the Blood Angels. Mm-hmm. The Space Wolves, we have Ashes of Prospero. Right. Um, and, well, the Curse of the Wolfen. Mm-hmm. What was going on there? The Dark Angels. Uh, dark, dark angels. Uh, we have as much as the dark angels are are allowing us to have right now. Yes, yes, oh, I would agree with that. And we have a huge handle. I think second to the ultramarines is the imperial fists. Oh yeah, yeah. We have a we have a pretty good handle on the imperial fists, too. and well, they're still boring. We have a pretty good side handle on them, I think, because we've never actually... Well, no, that's not true. How huh? we did have that that one book that we keep both keep forgetting. Anyways, moving on. Um, I I really like the Space Wolves. I would like to see... I'd like to see this plot progress for them. Mm-hmm. And where we go from here. I would like to see other chapters first, because some people also need their day in the sun. But this book, when I got to the end of it, I was like, oh, man... I want more space wolves. Well, yeah, I mean, but I think it depends on who writes them, to be totally honest. Uh, yeah. I mean, I really like not how, to put too fine a point on it. But I mean, yeah. I really like how ADB writes the space wolves. I've now read two books. I love it that uh, that he's written about the space wolves. Uh, I would like to see see more from him. Um, I mean, I didn't hate Ashes of Prospero. So, you know, Gav Thorpe's always a good choice as long as he doesn't make it, like, Indominus. I mean, Chris Wright, you said, wrote the Lehman Russ novel really well. So he might, you know, he might even be, like, a great one to kind of bring more Space Wolves. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would like to see definitely more variety. Because we are in it. I mean, as much as I love the Smurfs, and Robbie Bobby's my guy, I am getting a little over inundated with uh, the ultramarines and I like taking breaks like this even with a chapter that I, I'm not totally a fan of I have to say ADB is making them grow on me last two books have made me really kind of like them but you know just some variety not only that I'm actually I just I, I need to see how they all are in this crazy post rift world how they handle the right. primaris you know lots of shit's going on man so along those lines, though, that's our way to talk about the book that I have yet to pick up from my Games Workshop store. Our next book is Brutal Cunning, which I'm so excited for. I um, cannot wait. We are finally, not only are we taking a break from Marines, we are taking a hard ride at Albuquerque to go and visit with the orcs. I'm so excited. I am too, especially because it's written by Mike Brooks, same guy who wrote that delightful short story, you haven't read it that's where's there's where there's the warp there's the way if you haven't read it go do the thing you will laugh your ass off can verify yes super funny and you know what frankly i kind of we've had we've had a few dour books as of late we've had a few serious ones there were a few laughs in this book but overall it was a pretty serious book right i could use something funny and not just overall, in fact, because I think like the last really truly funny laughed out loud was probably one of the Caiaphas King books. There are lots of amusing anecdotes 
in Warhammer 40k, but oh no, I take that back. Actually, it was the Cal Jericho book was hysterical from start to finish. I could use, I could use a good funny book. Also works. Right. I'm gonna have to read most of this. I'm afraid, like out loud, <laughs> so I can, so I can understand. Pick up the yes. this soccer hooligan talk. I so that's one thing that I'm a little concerned about because I'm still reading the books aloud while my husband. Is playing Crusader Kings 3. Think of me fondly, please. I am now Crusader Kings widow. Um, I am still reading them aloud, and I'm a little nervous about that one, because I'm like, oh, am I going to be able to do this? But also, I need to be able to understand it, so. Right. Probably. And they'll all have the same voice as the ones from Space Marine, the game. Okay, they had... Space Marines! <laughs> As terrifying as the orcs were in that game, and as many times as they killed me, because damn it, they just don't stop coming. No. They cracked me up the entire time. Super excited for it. So that'll be our next book. Um, definitely pick it up and check it out and follow along with us. Yay. You want to take us out, Carrie? Yes, I will take us out. So thank you guys so much for listening to our Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding Ragnar Blackmane by the wonderful ADB. Be sure to join us for our next book, Brutal Cunning by Mike Brooks. Uh, we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, give a review, and all those things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on anywhere you get podcasts. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures and reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from a crag. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.